The Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition, is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips. From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv, sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Here are your hosts, Mark Gordon and David Harris. Ooh, I like that new intro. He's much better than the original one. What are you trying to say? He's much better than you. Well, he's got a oh, Yankee voice. It's nice. See, you can take a holiday now and we have a spare intro person. I would love to take a vacation. Oh, gosh, yes. Because we don't do it enough as No, it is. no, that's hard work. That's hard work. <laughs> when we're out on location reporting, it's hard work, honestly. Do you know what? It really is. Everybody that we meet is intensely jealous and says, can I carry your suitcase or sit in your suitcase? But we're at it. No, it's not fair to complain. We shouldn't complain about what we do. It's lovely. It's wonderful. We're very blessed. But don't you find when you want to take a break, you actually end up working really hard to get everything ready at work so you can have a holiday. And then when you get back, it's all piled up. And then you feel you need a holiday when you get back. That, that's for deaths. I think perhaps for me, the question is more, what do you do when you're actually away? Obviously, it depends on the type of job that you're doing. So if your responsibility is, for example, washing up in a restaurant, there's not a lot that you can do about your job when you're on holiday, so you can really enjoy it. But if you've got a job, just as a for example, I used to be a news editor for um, a news agency. I was on the whole time while I was away and never really relaxed until, you know, my wife would say to me, David, turn off your phone. See, as a professional juggler, when I go on holiday, <laughs> the balls just fall on the floor and I have to pick them up when I get back. Uh, he never tells me what his lines are going to be before he actually says them. So what have we got coming up on today's edition of the pod, Mark? Um, we're going to start a bit closer to home. We're going northern Israel and the city of Tzfat. Or Safed. No, Tzfat. Or Safed. Tzfat. Okay, we'll, okay, we've done that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it again in a few minutes' time, I promise you. Um, and then we are headed to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Oh, Lord. We're going to be going to Sarajevo. God, pronounce that one differently. No, I think um, you got that right. We, we, we're going to Sarajevo, which of course is the home of the famous Sarajevo Haggadah, but much more besides. We'll find out about that a little bit later on. But for now, why don't we just have a couple of our regular quiz questions? Question, Question number one. Which serving president was born in Sfat? And question number two. Which major international sporting event took place in Sarajevo in February of 1984? The answers at the end of the pod. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. You say potato. And I say sarfed. Oh. Yeah, it's a song, no, no. isn't it? Yeah, you say potato, I say potato, you say tomato, I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. So how do you pronounce Uranus? 
Or is it uh, Uranus? We, we are not going there, but where we are going right now is the historical town of Safed. Svat. Safed. Svat. In northern Israel. <laughs> You know what? We'll allow our guest, who is the director of the South Ed or Svat Kabbalah Center, Ayal Ries. We'll let him pronounce it whichever way he wants, and we'll go with his flow. The center was established uh, some 16 years ago by the Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County, uh, Florida, South Florida. And our center uh, hosts in a normal year, like 2018, 2019, uh, an average of 50,000 people from different parts of the world for spiritual programs, uh, spiritual retreats, uh, tours, tourist programs. We have a visitor center and we teach and hopefully inspire people to connect deeply with uh, teaching the legacy of Tzfat Kabbalah. Can you tell us briefly about the history of the city of Tzfat. The city of Tzfat is uh, perhaps one of the oldest cities in the world. Archaeological excavations that took place in Tzfat some uh, 14 years ago by uh, the Israeli Authority of uh, Antiquities, Rashut Atikot, found traces of uh, a community that lived in Tzfat in what the archaeologists call the Middle Bronze Era. That goes back some 4,000 years. And as far as we know from, from local traditions and also from uh, academical surveys, Sfat apparently is the only place on planet Earth where Jewish people lived continuously without any gaps for the past 2,100 years. So we have um, really an old city, an ancient city like Jerusalem from the perspective of the infrastructure. Yet Sfat is, uh, <laughs> you see more sky around you uh, uh, then you see actually you know stones or buildings it's on top of the mountain you feel a breeze uh, 24 7 a cool breeze on the high mountains of the galilee a uh, beautiful scenery a lot of green around and yet Tzfat is famous for the ancient synagogues from 16th century the glorious days of Tzfat after the you know 16th century Tzfat then became known as the world center for kabbalah Maybe you want to explain in just a couple of words what Kabbalah is. How do you mix that in with more of the tourism and the art scene and so on that there is in the city? Kabbalah is one of the pillars of the oral Torah in Jewish tradition. Uh, Kabbalah is spiritual Judaism. It's a wisdom, it's a, fill- it's a spiritual wisdom which provides insight into the spiritual dimensions of reality based on a deeper spiritual understanding of the text of the Bible. Kabbalah teaches of spiritual worlds, the spiritual realm, explaining how things work in the spiritual realm in a parallel way to the physical reality, to the material world. Kabbalah explains that the world is a combination of physical and spiritual reality, just like, you know, the device I'm using now, which is a smartphone, has a hardware and a software. Kabbalah explains that everything in in reality has a physical aspect to it, and spiritual, the outer dimension, the inner dimension, Kabbalah calls these two terms uh, lights and vessels, just like the body is a, a vessel for the light of the soul. Same thing with everything in, in reality, there's its outer dimension and its inner dimension. Now, Tzfat is famous for being the world center for Kabbalah, all different paradigms of Kabbalah. Since first and second centuries, up until these very days, are all associated with the history of Tzfat. Aside from the spirituality, Tzfat has a reputation for its art scene as well. Can you tell us something about that? We had a very vibrant artist colony, in fact. 
established by the, the Israeli government in the even in, in the early 50s of uh, the 20th century in 50s 60s 70s the era was doing so great <laughs> but then uh, I have to say it declined uh, a little bit uh, the artists uh, that used to live and work in thought that on those years actually they passed away the descendants did not continue their work but nowadays we have so many art galleries in the Jewish quarter where visitors walk by and between the ancient synagogues and the ancient alleyways and and they walk between beautiful beautiful galleries at the best of of, of local Judaica we have in Tzvat so many artists that live and work in Tzvat artisans like silversmith and, and painters and sculptors it's just a beautiful like you, you walk in Tzvat it's like as we say in Hebrew uh, it's like walking in a tziu in a painting you actually walk like in a painting it's so beautiful so artistic so colorful you use the word walking numerous times in your last answer is that the best way to see Tzvat and can you do it on your own or do you need to really see it with a knowledgeable guide I think Tzvat from my experience in tourism and I deal with tourism for two and a half decades now, Tzfat is one of those places that I strongly recommend to see with a local guide. But there's so many hidden corners and hidden places in Tzfat, you know, underneath the ground. You can go in some place underneath the ground, hidden tunnels that take you to Tzfat of the 16th century. Tzfat over the years suffered from several earthquakes, and therefore, we mentioned how old Tzfat is, therefore in Tzfat we have uh, different layers of the city, you know, from different times in history. Uh, you see the, the Kabbalists, really, where they used to live and work. There's an overview of the ancient cemetery at Tzfat. We have some tombs there of sages, even of biblical prophets from like 3,000 years ago. It's unbelievable. The history, you really walk. And, and I say walk <laughs> again. I use the term because you really walk. There's no place to drive in the old city of Tzfat, really this way. No other device, but really about your legs. In a, an hour and a half or so, you see it. You feel it. We have so many luxurious B&Bs and, and boutique hotels that recently have opened. Beautiful. Tzvat is a place for a spiritual retreat. It's a place to, to, to spend a night. It's a place to come for Shabbat. You know, Kabbalah Shabbat was initialized, was conceptualized in Tzvat in the 16th century. We host at our center, we host groups, not just Jews, by the way, Jews and non-Jews that come for the Shabbat experience. Shabbat of a lifetime. <laughs> You've nourished people's souls. If they want nourishment in Tzfat, where are the good restaurants to go? Oh, we have great restaurants, some dairy, some some meat restaurants. By the way, all the information one can find it uh, on our website, on our of our center. It is tzfatkabbalah.org. And spelling is well, <laughs> there is a spelling. It's a T Z F A T for Tzfat dash Kabbalah K A B A L A H dot org. A lot of people coming, whether they're Jewish or non-Jewish, will be thinking, oh, I'm going into a religious area, particularly on Shabbat. What about clothing? What about the way people need to behave? Is there something specific that people need to do when they're coming to Tzafat? I always say, even in the middle of the summer, dress in a way that will make you feel comfortable. Nobody will harass you. Nobody will give you a hard time. Nobody will give you looks. It's all good. Tzfat is very calm and very relaxed. However, I must say, a person does want to respect, you know, and especially, you know, when you go to the synagogue, okay, so that's a place where you got to dress modest, you know. A person would like maybe to cover his or her shoulders, so they provide a shawl, you know, but all very nicely and nobody makes you feel uncomfortable. 
completely this way. On the contrary, even the synagogues are very welcoming. There's a men's section, there's a women's section, and all very welcoming people. Actually, when I mentioned Shabbat, Shabbat is the experience. Everybody's dancing, you know, tefillah, prayer. It's something you sing and something you dance. You know, Lechadodi, the, the, the song, the poem for, for Kabbalah Shabbat that was written in Shabbat in the 16th century, you just... You don't just say it or read from the from the from the seed or from the prayer, but you dance it. You know, you feel it. You 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 sweat it. One more time, can we have the contact details? We're also available on phone. It's for Israel is nine seven two four. That's the area code for Tzfat. A six eight two one seven seven one. Our website. You can send an email, a WhatsApp through the website. Tzfat Kabbalah. Tzfat T Z. F-A-T, F like father, A-T, dash, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, dot org. Tzvatkabbalah.org. We're there. Looking forward to hosting you. E.R. Ries, director of the Tzvat Kabbalah Center in Tzvat. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Tzvat or Safed fact file. El Al flies to Ben Gurion Airport from most major European cities, plus New York, Boston, Chicago, Miami, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Toronto, and Johannesburg. Air Canada, BA, Cathay, Delta, United, and Virgin all fly direct to Tel Aviv. Safat can be accessed via Route 89 and Route 90. You can also reach Safat on the 982 bus from Jerusalem and the 980 bus from Herzliya. Safat hotels include Palacio Domain, the Villa Galilee, and the Roof Hotel. Simmers, or log cabins and cottages, are available through Airbnb and all good booking websites. The currency of Sfat is the Israeli shekel. 100 Israeli shekels equals 29 US dollars as of May 2022. TripAdvisor's best restaurants include Elements Vegetarian Restaurant, Haari 8, Batyar Steakhouse, Cafe Monitin, and the Tree of Life Vegetarian Restaurant. Ever wish there was a Jewish trip advisor? Visit worldjewishtravel.org for a one-stop shop to plan your Jewish cultural vacation at destinations around the world. Find local tours and guides, discover authentic restaurants and boutique hotels, all with a Jewish story to tell. Don't miss events with our unique cultural calendar or simply absorb a city's Jewish story with our blogs and travel ebooks. Start your journey at worldjewishtravel.org. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition and now the latest news. From May next year, passport holders from 63 countries will need prior online approval to enter the European Union. The application fee will be €7, or $7.30 at today's exchange rate. The new requirement will apply to US, Canadian and Israeli citizens. Having been more or less closed to visitors since the start of the COVID pandemic, New Zealand will fully reopen to international visitors on July 31st. Japan will be relaxing its border controls from June and Samoa from August. Fiji began relaxing its measures last week. Visitors to Israel no longer need to take a PCR test on departure to and arrival in the country. Saudi Arabia is expected to invest $1 trillion in travel and tourism through to 2030. That was one of the key headlines from May's Arabian Travel Market Convention. 
Tourism sector investors pumped $492 million into the Bahraini economy in 2020 alone. Radio Hotel, a full-service 221-room hotel, just a two-minute walk from Yeshiva University in New York City, will open in June. The hotel offers Shabbat-observant accommodation, with kosher catering readily available for special events. This is Mark Gordon from the Jerusalem Post podcast Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. Mark and I are just back from Girona in Catalonia in the northeastern corner of Spain. While we were there, we visited Jewish Museum. There'll be much more about that on a future podcast, but one particular object caught our eye. It was a copy of a famous Haggadah, which is the book we read at Passover, Pesach, and it's known as the Sarajevo Haggadah. Which didn't actually originate in Sarajevo, but now resides there. The story of Sarajevo, both the general story and that of its Jewish community is absolutely fascinating. We decided to turn to someone who spent a considerable period of time in Sarajevo to learn more. He's a podcaster, an academic and a former diplomat and his podcast is called David Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. The only reason you wanted me to say it was so that you could come up with a punchline. Which you've just stolen from me. Absolutely. I wanted to say, so what's his name? But because you've spoken now, it's so long since we said Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. Anyway, here's Tom Price. I live in Tucson, Arizona, of all places, which is quite near the Mexican border, about 40 minutes away by car. Um, I moved here after a long career as a U.S. diplomat and then an international civil servant working for the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, where I lived and worked in Vienna for five years, right before moving here. Prior to my career as a diplomat, I spent a couple of years working for the World Union of Jewish Students in the late 70s as their sort of minister of education and culture. And I traveled the Jewish world extensively at that time and really ever since. So I have a strong personal interest in traveling the Jewish world. And I have actually close, longstanding personal friendships in many communities that my fellow Americans would consider exotic. Of all of the places that you've lived in, that you've visited, that you guided, why do you want to talk today about Sarajevo in Bosnia? I would love to talk about all the places I've lived in and visited, but you asked me to choose one. I chose Sarajevo because I think in many ways it's unique, it's unexpected, and it's largely unknown. People have a lot of stereotypes about it. They think of the wars back in the 1990s, but they don't really have a clue as to the history of Sarajevo or what contemporary Jewish life there is like. Sarajevo's in Bosnia, and Bosnia used to be part of the Yugoslav Republic. Can you tell us some of the history of Bosnia and its role within 
the Yugoslav Republic. First of all, something about names, and this is quite complicated. The war in Bosnia in the 90s was finally resolved by a series of accords signed in all places of Dayton, Ohio, at, at a, an obscure Air Force base, which brought to a close a very bloody conflict and set up an extremely complicated series of political entities. There is something called Republika Srpska, which is roughly 50% the former territory of not, it was never actually called Bosnia, but actually Bosnia i Herzegovina, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Traditionally, the Bosnian portion of that federation was largely Muslim and Jewish and a mixture of all the other populations. Herzegovina was much more Roman Catholic, and the part that is the Serbian Republic today is much more Orthodox. Now, no part is 100% any one of these things. It's quite complicated. When you go to an international conference in Sarajevo, there will be one channel for Serbian, one channel for Croatian, one channel for what they call politely local languages. And if you know these languages and how minute the differences are, it's funny to think that you need a translation. But for political reasons, you do. And the terminology of almost anything can be very confusing. So if you have listeners who ever plan on visiting Sarajevo, I recommend staying far away from politics. Has it always been this way? Going way back, has Sarajevo, Bosnia, Yugoslavia always been this controversial mix of ethnicities, races, and so on? One of the most famous sayings of the great Winston Churchill was that the Balkans have always produced more history than they could consume. And therefore, they've involved other countries and great powers and faraway places in their wars. One of the things absolutely worth seeing today in Sarajevo is the bridge where a young Serbian revolutionary fired the shot that killed the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was the heir apparent to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And that shot ultimately, within about two months, led to World War I, which ultimately led to World War II and many of the tragedies of the 20th century. Tom, what's the Jewish story of Sarajevo? Sarajevo has a very long history. It was the capital of a Roman province. It was connected to the coast by a Roman road. It then went through a number of so-called barbarian invasions until finally, early in the 15th century, the Ottoman Turks conquered it and made it a provincial capital and made it ultimately a very important city so that by the end of the 1500s it was like eight times bigger than belgrade six times bigger than zagreb it was the largest city really anywhere in the southern balkans the ottomans invited jews who were expelled from spain and portugal by the decrees of 1492 and then 1497 to settle in their territories and for one reason or another many ended up by the early 1500s in Sarajevo, so that there was a very significant Jewish community already by 1515, 1520, 1525, 
with money that they brought with them and also with large subsidies from the Ottoman Empire, they built a huge synagogue, which is in the old part of town and was destroyed by several fires, actually, but is now a museum of the Jewish history of Sarajevo. And it's a wonderful building in an important part of the city. Perhaps the most famous item that exists in Sarajevo today is something that is Jewish, but is not kept in the museum, right? Well, it's not kept in that museum. It's kept in the National Museum. And I think you're referring to the Sarajevo Haggadah, which is a an illuminated manuscript that was produced in Spain in the 14th century, made its way slowly to Italy, to the UK at one point, and finally to Sarajevo. And most Sarajevans, particularly the Muslims regard that as the Mona Lisa of Sarajevo. They're very proud of it and of their role in saving it. It was thanks to Muslims in particular, but also what used to be the very tolerant, diverse character of Sarajevo as a community where everybody helped each other. Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholics, Muslims, and Jews all played a role in ensuring that the Sarajevo Haggadah survived the war and the Nazi occupation. And it's now available for viewing a grand total of two hours a week in a special vault in the National Museum. It's Tuesday and Thursday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. It's a carefully controlled temperature-wise, humidity-wise, etc. vault where the Sarajevo Haggadah is in a case. It's extremely well protected and it attracts many tourists as it should. And for further reading on either the Sarajevo Haggadah or the nature of Sarajevo itself, I recommend a book called People the Book by an Australian writer named Geraldine Brooks. Tom, is there an active Jewish community there today? Absolutely. At one point in, I'm not sure, pre-COVID, 2018 or 2019, a local community leader wrote in a newspaper piece that he considered Sarajevo the safest place in Europe for Jews. There's no anti-Semitism there. The community is growing rather than decreasing in size. People who emigrated over the years, anywhere between 1949 and 1999, whether to Israel or the UK or the US, have been slowly returning. And the number of bar mitzvahs and marriages performed there is going up. Now, these aren't huge numbers. I mean, the community may have grown from 900 to 1,200, but as a percentage, that's a very impressive growth rate. What about the general food scene and also kosher for those listeners who are interested in keeping kosher? For kosher, it's a bit complicated. You can either contact the local Jewish community and ask them to organize something for you, or you can contact the Chabad rabbis of either of three nearby capitals that are all sort of three, four hours away by road. One is Podgorica, the capital of Montenegro. The other is Zagreb, which is about equidistant. That's the capital of Croatia. And finally, the capital of Serbia, which is Belgrade. And any of those Chabad rabbis would be happy to ship kosher provisions or have them delivered to Sarajevo. I also think that there is a kosher soup kitchen in the community center. I'm not sure they serve elegant restaurant meals or fine dining, but I think you can certainly survive on what they serve. 
in terms of more general eating, the national dish is chivapchichi, which are little kebabs that were common to all of the former Yugoslavia. And the advantage for Jews who are only semi-observant is that in Sarajevo, the chivapchichi are pork-free because the majority of the population is Muslim. And although they're not terribly devout in terms of alcohol, it's kind of gentle sort of Turkish style of Islam, but they don't eat pig. So there's a major river that flows through the heart of Bosnia, and there's like a lot of freshwater fish, less saltwater fish. But there are restaurants where you can go out and eat fish. There are even vegetarian restaurants. And this is an important thing that I don't want to omit, a pedestrian-only street where you can feel as you walk down the street in less than two kilometers that you're walking from old Constantinople, pre-Ottoman conquest, to 19th century Vienna. The mosques change slowly to Orthodox churches and then eventually Roman Catholic churches. The restaurants and cafes change from being purely Turkish with Turkish coffee and Nargila to Viennese cafes with Wiener Melange and Apfelstrudel and Western cigarettes. If people enjoyed listening to you, where can they hear your podcast? My podcast is available just by Googling Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. And then there are three or four different links. You can hear it on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean. It has its own Facebook page, which is called Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. There are any number of ways that you can get my podcast. I absolutely adore your podcast it is my number one history podcast and my number two favorite travel podcast after the one that you have just appeared on with us tom price thank you so much for your time thank you sarajevo fact file from the u.s you'll have to catch a connecting flight from pretty much anywhere in europe to reach sarajevo international airport or Medunarodny Aerodrome Sarajevo. There are direct flights from London, Frankfurt, Istanbul, Vienna, Zurich and Stockholm to name but a few. It's a 20-minute drive from the airport to the city and will cost around $10.60. A bus to downtown will cost approximately $2.60. Tom Price says the best hotel in terms of location is the old Hotel Europe, left over from the communist days of the former Yugoslavia. While not the most modern or luxurious place in town, the fact that it's a five-minute walk from everything you'd want to see makes it a winner in Tom's book. Plus, the hotel offers very inexpensive transportation to and from the airport. The currency is the Bosnia-Herzegovinian convertible marker. $1 will buy you 1.88 marker. In Sarajevo, the summers are warm and mostly clear, and the winters are very cold, snowy and partly cloudy. The warm season runs from early June to mid-September, with an average daily high temperature above 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 22 Celsius. The cold season lasts from late November to early March, with an average daily high temperature below 46 Fahrenheit or 8 Celsius. Sarajevo cuisine is a blend of East and West, with both Turkish and European influences. Two of the best-known meat dishes are the kebab-style savapi and the flaky pastry burek. Recommended restaurants include Sevab Zinisa Zelyo for savapi and Burek Zinisa Sak for burek. 
Kosher food is available with advance notice from the Haggadah Association of Sarajevo. Details at haggadah.org.ba. Haggadah is spelt H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H. For a fascinating side trip, travel to Mostar with its amazing old city and carefully restored bridge, one of the world's most famous Ottoman bridges. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have fun Googling those restaurants you just read out. <laughs> that was a nightmare. Say it again, David. No, 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 no. Don't be cruel. But it is interesting how that type of cooking transcends the Eastern Mediterranean, including the Balkans. I also noticed that there is a thing called Bosnian coffee, which, funnily enough, is like Turkish coffee and all the others. Very much copies one of the other. Again, the burek is just like the burek asim that we offer people in Israel. Or brick in Tunisia. Absolutely. Should we say thank you? Thank you. Good night. Good night. Thank you to A.L. Reese and Tom Price. Ladies and gentlemen, as we always do, we're appealing once again. Please, please, please subscribe, share, and most important, write a lovely, friendly comment wherever you receive this podcast. And email us if you want the intro to be done by somebody other than David, because it's a hell of a lot better. <laughs> and our email address is markdavidpod at gmail.com, and all of our social media is available at markdavidpod. And now my favourite bit, the quiz answers. Question number one. Which current president was born in Svat? Well, it's not Herzog. It's not Biden. Correct. Is well, it, question number two, then, because you've got it right. Is it the president of a country? Oh, gosh, I'm oh. not going down that one. <laughs> so, it turns out that Mahmoud Abbas was born in Sfat, the president of the Palestinian Authority. Or chairman. Anyway, we'll No, leave no, that. he's chairman of the PLO, isn't he? It's chairman of that. We're not <laughs> I'm not going into that. <laughs> anyway, the answer to the question is Mahmoud Abbas. <laughs> I knew this was going to go downhill as soon as I saw that question written down. And question number two. <sighs> Which major international sporting event took place in Sarajevo in February of 1984? And now it's a chance for fame and fortune because Mark's sister is actually listening to this and she knows the answer. So, Mark's sister, come to the microphone. What do you think the answer is? Winter Olympics, Torval and Dean, Sarajevo 1984. Obviously, it was Sarajevo. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Torval and Dean won the ice dance gold yes. medal. It's this stellar moment in UK sport, because apparently UK sport is a thing, and they won something. Is that like Jewish sport? Yeah, And, and exactly. the film Airplane. Well, let's put it, the UK's contribution to winter sport is very similar to the Guinness Book of Jewish Sports People, yes. Not anymore. They keep winning gold medals at curling. Yes. The Scots. Yes, well, that's sort of Britain. But again, we're not going there. This is not sports. This is travel. We've done enough. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips.